In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsink. And with me, all the way from the motherland, is Mr. Parascience himself, Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon, Ron. How are you? I'm going to have to make you a regular. You're like, I talk to you more than anyone now. Yeah, I'm better than Cal as well. But um, I don't know. Can we can we just go back to that music? And uh, as as we logged on, "Sweet Home Alabama." I had a great two weeks in Alabama. Brought back Did some you really? memories. Yeah, it was great. It's a great state. I I love the South. Of your Me country, too. Not That's, we do have something in common. I I just think it's just. I haven't traveled to every, you know, all over America. I've been to uh, the Midwest, around Chicago, Indiana, obviously to the uh, West Coast, um, into the Mojave Desert, which was fantastic. But um, Alabama, Mississippi, and the Gulf Coast of Florida, absolutely fantastic. Absolutely great people. And well, some fabulous go. stories. Well, you have never come to New England, though. No. The true, no. The true bosom of America. I I waved as we flew over um, <laughs> on our way to um, Atlanta. Mm-hmm. We have so much to offer here at the great state of Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Maine, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Vermont. Yeah, all, this- also the historic states of America. Well, certainly the historic states connected to... Um, our, our side of the Atlantic, and particularly our country, our Great Britain. Absolutely. God save the Queen. God save the Queen, and thank God we got the French out. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You know what? I, I, I watch a lot of, uh, you know, the shows on, but aren't you really French? Aren't the English really French? Uh, well, our royal family is really German. Um, we were invaded, it's perfectly true, a thousand years ago by um, the Normans, who uh-huh. were really, they're really a Viking descent, um, who settled in, nor- in the northern part of France and renamed it Normandy. Um, and we have a, sim- a similar lineage, um, as a lot of us are descended from uh, the Norse sort of ancestry as well. So they came from France, but they had a bloodline uh, more directly related to or com- in common with our own. So uh, 
Yeah, we were invaded by the French. But we got, we got our own back. We had Henry V and Edward III, and we went back. And in, in actual fact, um, in, the rel- in the reign of uh, Edward III and Henry V, the English king ruled a bigger part of France than the French king did. Oh, there you bit go. Of, bit of history for you. And, of course, we, we saved Canada from the French. And um, Well, <laughs> that's to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> They're still trying to take it back. <laughs> <laughs> they can have Quebec back. Yeah, that's, that's the deal. I mean, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, we, we, I did an event up upstate New York, and we had some uh, fans from the Ghost Chronicles show came down, and uh, we were talking about that, and, and the French... They only speak French. Uh, the Quebecians uh, only speak French, and they're, they're really uh, a bit rude. They say to other people from Canada. So interesting. What was what I found funny? We were I was in Paris once, and I was on a multilingual tour bus of the uh, French capital, mm-hmm. and the French spe- the the multilingual French tour guide refused to speak any language but French. And didn't like the French Canadians. Um, oh yeah, they think they're, they're, you know, they think they're like their poor cousins or something, you know. Yeah, really. I, but I say the the, uh, the the French are a very proud race, a very proud nation, and um, refused uh, any language on the multilingual bus tour, but their own, mm-hmm. which was helpful. You know, we we don't hear a lot of. French ghost stories. I mean, I've, I have some in my book, Ghost a Day, but, you know, uh, I had about the Black Fleet. Did you ever hear about the Black Fleet? Uh, I don't know that one. Oh, uh, yeah. I'd have to go to get particulars because knowing me, I'll mush the names up and everything else. But uh, basically, it was uh, one of the coastal... Uh, I'm not going to get into this because I'll mess it up. You know, I'll muck it all up. Oh. <laughs> But well, anyways, we yeah, can buy the book. Do, we can buy the book. Yeah, buy the book. Ghost, yep, Ghost today. It's it's in there. Uh, you know, if I knew I was going to talk about, it, I would have briefed up on it. But anyways, you know, the interesting thing too is uh, there's a, a piece about a couple of sisters who were, went to uh, Versailles and then they they went back in time there. Did you ever hear that case? I have I have their uh, their accounts. Uh, they wrote two books. One, the most famous being one called An Adventure. Uh-huh. Um, it was quite questionable because um, they didn't publish the information for a good number of years afterwards. After they themselves had uh, conducted their own investigations, and some years later, another researcher um, reviewed the case and came to a slightly different conclusion but uh, it's a very very interesting uh, story it's uh, intriguing it, isn't it it's it's um it's not intriguing, intriguing. Well, I've read I've read the follow up book um uh-huh. which questions some of it um and yep. so I think it's it's I wouldn't like to dismiss what happened, but at the same time, I wouldn't like to say, you know, that it absolutely did happen. But the right. book certainly makes excellent reading, and as as are so many these days, you can get it now almost. I think it's a free book on a number of different websites if somebody Googles it. It's called An Adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, that's the thing, you know, Stephen, you, you don't have to, just because you, you say you find a book intriguing or you, you don't, it's not that you're commenting on the validity of it, you just... 
find it interesting mean it, it does make you think a little bit or whatever and and maybe the follow-up book totally dismissed it but i mean it's it's all these different things that i find the paranormal so interesting yeah maybe okay if you do some more research and it doesn't work out but the initial thing it makes you say hmm and at least look into it further i i always strongly advocate that before you can form any type of opinion um you have to have both sides of the story earlier this week somebody asked me for uh a recommendation for some good books relating to the to spiritualism, mm-hmm. and I recommended. And you said uh, there weren't any. <laughs> uh, well, I chose to recommend the history of spiritualism by Arthur uh-huh. Cl- Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, yep. As because he was very very pro spiritualist. Oh yes. Um, his his history deals with many of the key events in spiritualism pre Hydesville, through the Hydesville era, the Fox Sisters, the Davenports, and Daniel Hume. But I also uh, said that uh, suggested that the person should read Joseph McCabe's book, um, which was the popular history of spiritualism from 1847, which deals with exactly the same issues but from entirely the opposite perspective, because I think you have to uh, acquaint yourselves with both both sides of the story before you can even begin to have an opinion uh to simply read one account or one side of an argument um i think causes causes you know you to skew your your perspective exactly Um, and the interesting thing about is is we we select what we want to choose as facts anyways facts are pretty much like numbers that we you know an accountant gets some numbers and he can you know a real good accountant can pretty much make him do whatever he wants him to do uh you know he can look at it from one point of view from another point of view other words you want if you're showing bad figures you can look at it in a particular way and if you wanted to show good then you could look at them in different particular ways so a lot of our uh, uh thoughts and things that we accept the facts are really skewed a little bit uh, according to our own beliefs. I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, I mean, there are certain there are certain instances where we can we can be uh, guided by solid evidence and proof, right. And, right. and that does exist. But right. you know, I think you know where you have something contentious, like for example, survival of death or mm-hmm. ghosts or Bigfoot, or the Loch Ness Monster, there are good arguments for, and there are equally good arguments against. And I find myself often, if I read a book that's for the Loch Ness Monster, um, Mm -hmm. I I find myself being drawn and persuaded towards that argument. And then the next book I'll read will be against the Loch Ness Monster, and I'll find myself being drawn in the other direction. And so, you know, often it's quite difficult to try and maintain that position sitting on the fence to, to be right. balanced and objective. Um, I think you do sway from side to side as you read different uh, books and different testimony um, relating and to... That's, to that's the a good thing. Cases. That shows you have an open mind. You're willing to look at everything, you know. I think you absolutely have to have an open mind if you don't. I don't think you, can, you should really be in this line of work. I am so glad you mentioned that because we have a guest on the line who is actually, I know how much you love orbs, so we're going to talk <laughs> about orbs. I'd like to introduce to you Josh Mantello. He is a member of the Berkshire Paranormal. 
He is also a Mason and is also um, one of the caretakers of the haunted Hooten Mansion in North Adams, Massachusetts. Josh, you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you doing today? Good. Hi, good afternoon. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, poo-poo orbs and stuff. And Josh has actually done a little bit of research into light anomalies, and, and he is one of the few people that uh, that I know of has done quite a bit of uh, research into it. So, so Josh, why don't you talk a little bit about your uh, your uh, light system uh, rating? Uh, I mean, yeah, a lot of what I've done with orbs um, and, and just paranormal photography in general um, is just based on the fact that I've done, I've grown up, you know, as a photographer, uh, I grew up in a household with my dad being a photographer. I'm a photographer now. I'm also, I have the interest in the paranormal. Uh, and obviously in the paranormal field, there's uh, a, a lot of pictures being taken with a lot of either false, you know, false negatives, false positives, and, and claims of paranormal activity. Um, so when I got into the field, uh, I, I really took a, a, a personal approach into the, into the photography side of it. And, started out first with almost a ranking system for pictures, uh, very similar to what the people in the EVP field use, you know, ranking them uh, through, you know, a class A, B, or C type of rating, where, you know, A obviously being something that is, is hard to debunk, uh, even, you know, your professional photography, you know, your, your Kodak people, your people from the companies can't debunk, a B being something that was, you know, it, it, it could be naturally explained, uh, it would be hard to recreate, but could be recreated. But, you know, at the same time, there was some sort of activity, you know, EMF spikes, EVP recordings, personal experiences taking place at the same time that, that helped, you know, prove the validity of the, of the, of the picture. And then a, you know, just a simple kind of C rating, uh, that is just a picture that can be very easily explained or reproduced. Uh, and of course, with that, then you, you you do start getting into the the orb argument, which <laughs> is it's it's a never ending argument. Um, I've gotten into so many heated disagreements with with orb believers, and, and and I really did set forth to try and at least help educate people a little bit more how cameras work, how the this small point and shoots that a lot of people are using um, can create false positives and help create orbs. Mm. I don't know if uh, Steve will agree with you, Ryan, because I think he's a big orb specialist, I believe. <laughs> the, I mean, for me, the, the biggest thing, one of the bigger things I did and really helped um, for myself uh, was uh, start recreating orbs and help start trying to educate people that pictures are two-dimensional. They're not three-dimensional. There is no way to actually tell where within a frame any given object is. Um, just as simple as you see a lot of people who will go to larger cities and they'll put in the, in the background a, a very large monument and they'll have it placed so that it looks like in the picture that that monument is in the palm of their hand. Uh, so you're using that same kind of trick photography, you know, is the same way that you can say, well, that orb is on this person's shoulder during an encounter, or it's in their hand, or it's on a bed that is supposed to be haunted. Uh, and what I did was I actually took a um, 
large poster paper and cut out randomly sized circles and put them in um, set places within a picture. And in reality, what I actually did was put them across a doorway. They were all hanging the exact same distance from a from a from the camera, which was set on a tripod, um, a large you know one foot orb, a small five inch orb, and a smaller two inch you know man made orb. Uh, when I took the picture and I, and I present these to people, they all, I say, well, which one is the closest to the camera? And automatically everybody says the biggest one's closest and the little one's the furthest. And they're all actually kind of shocked to say that when I tell them they're all hanging the exact same distance from the camera and you can't tell that difference in a two-dimensional image. Ron, I think I think Josh and I are both singing very much from the same hymn book. Um, I knew you would. I was just yanking your chain. <laughs> Um, good, good, good afternoon, Josh. Um, hey, how are you doing? I, I've, I, I was also like you, uh, puzzled and intrigued by these uh, little balls of light that, that people were. We, we indeed were finding them on our digital uh, cameras, um, and it was the sheer volume of them that, that first set alarm bells ringing. Um, you know, if if they were in fact paranormal. Uh, it would mean that uh, the the digital camera had become the ultimate ghost hunting tool, and that just didn't seem seem to hang right. Um, so what we did is um, we set out to try and um, demonstrate that um, there's a theory called the orb zone, um, where the the dust is, I'm sure you're aware, is very, very close to the camera lens and very close to the lens axis and is um, reflecting the light from the on-camera flash straight back down onto the uh, imaging plane. And for a long time, we, we, could, we could demonstrate the effect by reproducing it, but we could, we could never absolutely demonstrate that it wasn't you know, uh, some other anomaly until, um, I think it was about 2009... Um, they uh, released the first uh, 3D uh, stereo digital camera. Mm, yeah. And we, we took one of those out and we took, uh, I think there's over 2,500 stereo pairs of uh, shots now been taken uh, with orbs on them. And um, the orbs are never in the same places, left and right, or if they're, if they're present, right, they're not present, left. Um, and that quite clearly does demonstrate that the objects are, you know, uh, very close up to the lens and uh, close to the lens axis. Uh, right. Very similar to what you were doing with the different size discs, because as you rightly pointed out, it, a, a photograph is, is entirely two-dimensional. Um, and depth perception, in fact, we, we use the word orb, uh, and in actual fact on a, on a camera picture, that they're always invariably discs. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I think we're we're both Ron. Unfortunately, uh, if you want it, you, we're all on the same side here. And <laughs> <laughs> and and another thing I do a lot of times when I, I give presentations, uh, just to kind of help people understand the out of focus um, thing. They have a hard time understanding sometimes how just the camera focuses. And when you, most of us, you know, even your higher end SLR is now auto focus. Um, you know, they don't focus, you know, two inches in front of the camera. They don't focus five inches in front of the camera. They're focusing across the room. Uh, one way, you know, I, I kind of help demonstrate to people and kind of give them to understand is, you know, if you're sitting in a room, stare across the room, focus your eyes on the point furthest across the room, and then just stick your finger two inches in front of your face. You know, uh, your, your finger will actually be transparent. It'll be misshapen. 
uh, almost like it orbs transparent and misshapen. Uh, it, and it kind of helps, again, give you that little bit of extra, you know, belief into that, you know, it could be the camera playing a trick on you. Yeah, absolutely. The the thing I'd like just like to clarify, because I, I noticed in the chat room, somebody is just reiterating their belief that some orbs are paranormal. Um, the research and the experimentation that we did with the three-dimensional camera relates to one very specific cause, and that cause is specifically the most common one, which is dust, water droplets, bits of cat fur and fluff and spider webs that are very, very close to the lens. It doesn't relate to um, self-luminous anomalies that, that people do uh, from time to time show photographs of. That doesn't mean to say either that they're paranormal. But my um, assertion uh, relating to, to our experiment is simply that this one particular cause has now been satisfactorily explained. But that doesn't mean that all photographic anomalies are normal or paranormal. No, not at all. I mean, I, I have seen uh, self-illuminating orbs in a picture that I, I can't understand. I mean, there's more to orbs, like streaks, you know, caused by slow shutter speeds. I mean, there's, there's, there's right. I mean, you could get probably... bugs, and bugs will give you an illuminated uh, uh, right. orb as well. That's right. Uh, it, there's a, there is a subtle difference. Uh, and even bugs kind of still have that out-of-focus, almost transparency to them sometimes too close to the lens but they are brighter uh, it, it's kind of hard to explain without showing it. it it's almost like if you turned a flashlight on during the during the picture would be a, a self-illuminating we where i where i am uh, um in in the uk is a uh, one of the constituent countries called wales and wales has a history of um folklore and related to ghosts and the post sort of the funeral procession and it's called the corpse candle um i don't know if you have them in america but these are um a light scene that, that a small ball of glowing light the flame of a candle it's described as that seemed to uh, precede the route of a funeral by a few days and as a portent of death um now i don't know of any photographs of it but but you know there are anomalies that people have been reporting since before the the advent of photography. Well, isn't that uh, kind of like the, the wisps? The the wisps. I would say exactly the same, sort of uh, yeah. by description, uh, marsh lights and. Uh, but that doesn't, as I say, it, we don't. You know, my my experiment, the one we did with the three D camera, related to one very specific cause, and it was, you know, the most commonly reported uh, cause of orbs. That was paranormal, whatever that was. Did you hear that? Yeah. Oh, no. I think that was my phone telling me I had a text message. I can't believe that one. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we thought we were being contacted from the other side there for a minute. Now, we would have to speak to Cal with phone calls from the dead, text messages from the dead. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, even in, even in the afterlife, they're still keeping up with technology. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Josh, uh, you also uh, have the opportunity to do a lot of investigating. I know you do a lot of events, but you also have done extensive investigating at the Hooten Mansion as yeah. well, right? So yeah, I mean, that's a luxury of having your own haunted location. It, it, absolutely. I mean, it's 
uh, it's, it's a luxury not a lot of investigators or, or researchers have. I can say I, I have a key to probably, you know, one of New England's and maybe even America's as hard to guess, judge, you know, haunted haunted buildings. And at any given point, if I, if I have a theory or, or something I want to try and prove or, or debunk, I can grab a camera or whatever piece of equipment I, I, I want to use and, and head to a, a very reputable and documented haunting. I mean, uh, the ends, you know, uh, I know a team in the UK that spent how many hours uh, investigating the shipyard, uh, Mr. Parascience? Uh, in excess of 10,000. Um, spread over just short of three and a half years. No, yeah, I mean, we've... <laughs> so I think he's got I, your I, beat. Again, no, again, yeah, he's got I'm, me beat. Josh and I are singing very much again from the same hymn book that, you know, you can't just, as, as so many paranormal groups these days seem to do, um, go to our location to spend four hours there or six hours or, or even one or two nights there and then, then declare it to, be, to have been successfully investigated. You really do have to spend weeks, months, years before you even get to know uh, a building thoroughly. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and even for me, I mean, I'm I'm the type of person who who does not really use the uh, you know a psychic method or a method um, at all of any sort of um, fifth sense, sixth sense, anything like that. But I do, you know, been in this one building long enough. I have the feeling, you know, I I, I can I have investigated enough where I can be in a room and say, you know, this does not feel the same as it did yesterday, mm-hmm. two days ago, three days ago, and I can actually almost judge which of yeah. the dire spirits is there. I think, I think you do get that sense of knowing a, a location. I mean, if you're in your own home and you hear a noise, you can very quickly say, that's the neighbours, that's the plumbing, that's the heating. Uh, if you're in a new location, an unfamiliar location... Um, you know, the temptation is that every noise is suddenly paranormal or potentially paranormal. You end up jumping at, you know, the mundane. Um, so I do think, you know, uh, you, you need to spend time. Uh, you know, isn't that the thinking of Harry Price in the Boily rest, uh, uh, Rectory? You nearly said Boily Restaurant then, didn't you? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Harry was there for uh, in excess of... Uh, Ten years from 1929, I think, if my memory serves, uh, until the place burnt down at the start of uh, WWT. Um, and, and afterwards, uh, he, he was still writing about Borley when he when he died in 1948. Um, and so, yeah, uh, he spent a great deal of time at, at that location. Um, Josh, you're not going to believe us, but we actually have to take a break now, so we want to thank you for calling in. Oh, no problem. And we're getting all kinds of noise anyways from your end. Oh, really? Yeah. Doors opening, closing, voices. I don't know. You in the haunted mansion now? <laughs> no, no haunted mansion here. <laughs> just, a, just a bunch of kids coming home from school. <laughs> So uh, we've been talking with uh, Josh Mantello from the Berkshire Paranormal in the Hooten Mansion. We, we want to thank you so much for stopping by, Josh. And Thanks, uh, Josh. I guess I'm going to meet you at uh, Spirit Quest in a couple of months, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's going to be a good time. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. 
All right. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> no, thank you. Yep. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. Well, I guess uh, we have to take a break right now. Uh, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parasites himself, Stephen Parsons, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Cohen, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tojinet, radio with a cutting edge. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged, unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew, it's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And cemetery tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Mr. Parasite, Steve Parsons, and New England's own Van Helsink, Ron Kolick, right here on Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Wrong. So uh, Wrong. it wasn't what you thought. You thought I was going to nail you with a bunch of uh, Orby stuff, didn't you? No, no, no. But I, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. You're always yeah. asking everybody else. Van Helsink. Now, yes. Wasn't he a vampire hunter? Well, it depends. <laughs> because Van Helsing, I, always, did... I always thought that you would have much more identified with Karnaki the Ghost Finder. Yeah, okay. <laughs> rather Who? than Van Helsing. I mean, well, can, can you put a stake through the middle of a ghost? No, but you got to let me finish. First of all, the original character of Ghost of uh, Van Helsing was from Bram Stoker's Dracula, and uh, basically he was a man of science, and but he was versed in the arts and the crafts. So that's kind of what I like to think myself as. I have my science background, but yet I'm open-minded enough to at least understand and study the uh, alternative methods. Um, but if you go into the Hollywood version, you've got Van Helsing. Uh, doing all kinds of monsters, so there you go. He works for the Vatican, he's underground. He, I just thought of that, I'm Catholic too. Ooh, is another analogy. 
You know, have you ever read the books by Hope Hodgson of Karnaki the Ghost Farm? No, I never heard of that, to be honest with you, uh, Stephen. I th- after what you just said, I think you would really, really like them. The, the, uh, William Hope Hodgson, um, the, the sort of like psychic detective crime type things, but he uses the craft, he uses the magic, um, he uses the science to lay the ghosts. And um, it's C-A-R-N-A-C-K-I, Karnaki the Ghost Finder. The books are—it's a free book, so um, from uh, Amazon, I think it is. So have a read. I think you might be changing. Yeah, your if, name you, if you ever dig that name up, uh, message me because I, I won't remember it from the show. I can tell you that, but I, uh-huh. I would love to. It sounds sounds intriguing, Stephen. Thank you for calling that to my attention. It's it's just you to a T. I was reading hmm. one of the stories earlier this week, and I thought I'm reading about Ron Kolak. <laughs> you mean I'll have to change my name? <laughs> Well, it's always good to reinvent yourself. Uh, I suppose, I suppose. So, anyway, Stephen, I was uh, on uh, Facebook today, as I uh, am many times, and and I saw these rants and raves of you about the U.S. And what is with that? What did we do to you this morning? I absolutely nothing. I wasn't ranting about the U.S. I was ranting about a very small minority of people over here who have been filling up my Twitter feed with uh-huh. the with the ranting about getting rid of the monarchy. Oh, installing God. installing a republic. So uh, I was trying to be light-hearted by pointing out that uh, your U.S. President Obama has a motorcade of between seven and eleven vehicles. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, whereas our Queen Elizabeth today was using a motorcade with three. So if you're, she's much more eco-friendly to have a queen than a president. Uh, also, she's not given the nuclear football. Um, so, you know, having a queen is less likely for us to start a, uh, a worldwide atomic war by accidentally falling on a briefcase. Yeah, but, um, but Stephen, you, you must realize that that's just a dummy. There is no atomic football in here. We, we all know the atomic football is, is really carried by Illuminari. Ah, well, we don't have any of them either. Oh, uh, yes, although, you do. We all do. Although it, it has been it has been written and suggested that all of our royal family are in fact lizards from a different planet. Oh, really? Uh. Yeah, I mean, this was a serious book uh, put forward by uh, quite a personality over here, David Icke, who used to be a sports uh, journalist. He actually uh, wrote about the Illuminati and about the New World Order, and then rounded the book off quite nicely, I thought, by suggesting that the entire royal family were lizards from, Makes sense. Uh, yeah, makes from sense. outer space who uh-huh. met uh-huh. children. So, uh, I thought... Anyway, of speaking of lizards, that. we have another guest on the line, and uh, <laughs> he, is, he is a lighthouse expert and historian. I've known him forever, it seems. Mr. Jeremy, oh, by the way, he's French, too. Dantremont. <laughs> Bonjour, Ron and Stephen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'll, I'll ignore the lizard comment there. I did I say lizard? Me. I did. <laughs> you I think you sort of that. sort of called me a lizard. I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but I'll, I'll take it as a compliment. It, you know, we talk about haunted locations, and, and in the United States, we have a lot of lighthouses that seem to be haunted. But in the UK, you don't. We don't hear too much about your lighthouses, uh, Stephen. Do you have many haunted lighthouses in the UK that we know of? Or you know of? We have our fair share, absolutely. In fact, um, 
<clears throat> quite close to where I am, um, we have one of the original, uh, I guess, lighthouses that inspired a legend. Uh, it's called the Smalls Lighthouse. It's about 20 miles out to sea off the, well, the Welsh coast near, uh, near here. Um, and back in 1801, there was a particularly gruesome incident. Um, in those days, there, were, there was always a two-man lighthouse crew. And these two particular lighthouse keepers, Howell and Griffiths, were well known um, to quarrel. And indeed, during their watch when, when they were out at, uh, in the lighthouse, um, I think one of them, Griffiths, actually died in a freak accident. And Howell feared that he would be suspected of Griffiths' murder uh, if he were to simply discard the body into the sea. And so he built a makeshift coffin... Um, and hung it, lashed it outside the lighthouse. Um, unfortunately, also, a, a huge storm blur blew up and blew the box to smithereens. Um, <coughs> although it, the body continued to, to remain attached to the outside of the lighthouse, um, and the arm, uh, which had broken partially loose, was waving in the wind as if beckoning um, and for the remaining, I think he was there for about five or six weeks till the, the weather abated, uh, with the decaying corpse of his former colleague hanging outside. Um, he went very nearly mad. Um, and following that, all British lighthouses were manned by crews of three. Um, oh, so like a mediator? Uh, either, well, well, an extra witness, uh, unless, unless one of the lighthouse keepers was a mass murderer. But the Smalls also had another intriguing tale attached to it, which was it was the, um, the crew building the lighthouse um, got themselves stranded and had no means of communicating with the shore. And they, they took the, the rather strange but thoughtful uh, chance of throwing a message in a bottle into the into the, the the sea, and funnily enough, it did actually reach shore um, to people who knew uh, about the lighthouse and the crews out there, and uh, they were rescued. Um, I think it was described as the very first successful use of a message in a bottle. So, uh, uh, so there you go, that's just one lighthouse uh, relating locally. But it, to answer your question, yes, we do have um, several haunted lighthouses, but I think you have plenty more. Uh, but you've, you've got a far, a far bigger coastline. True. I think the in uh, the UK, I'd say the, the haunted lighthouses are probably uh, kind of uh, overshadowed by the haunted castles and all kinds of other ancient structures that are much older than the lighthouses. I think that's part of it. But um, I was going to uh, say, I, I believe there's a, a recent play, isn't there, based on the uh, the story you just told about the Smalls Lighthouse? Yes, um, I can't remember the title of it, but it is a very, very famous story over here. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think it's, it's called it's, The Lighthouse, actually, cleverly I enough. I think it's been dramatized several times. Yeah, yeah, it's an amazing story. It reminds me also of the, uh, I'm sure you know about the story of the three keepers in the Flannan Isles in Scotland uh, that disappeared mysteriously. Uh, I, I'm not complete. no, I don't. Uh, I believe it was around 1900, and when uh, uh, I believe it was noticed that the light was out there, and uh, some sort of lighthouse tender or vessel, you know, showed up at this uh, island and discovered that the three keepers had just vanished, and their like the 
family settings were all set at the table and uh, everything was in perfect order. There was no sign of anything happening and there was never any trace of them, the three of them found. Uh, and it's not clear if a rogue wave maybe washed them away or, or uh, exactly what happened. I believe there's also a, a play based on that story as well. Uh-huh. And if any place should be haunted, it would be that place, I would say. <laughs> well, not really, because then you have the Twin Sisters, which were two uh, towers built by the Romans that were used for lighthouses, actually part mm. of a, a castle. And, Dover. Uh, yes, and that's haunted as well. Yeah, there's still most of one of those ancient towers standing in Dover, one of the oldest lighthouses in the world. That's right. We also, we also have one that featured on uh, TV's Most Haunted, which is South Stack. I heard of that show. It's on the <laughs> north North Wales coast, about uh, about eighty miles north of where I am. Um, quite quite a spectacular location. It's set out on a cliff uh, cliff point, as as most of them are. But this is reached by about three hundred steps down and about. 150 steps back up again and a rope bridge in the middle and it's I understand from Kieran that it was actually quite a struggle getting all the equipment out um, to, to, to set up to film it and it is open to visitors and uh, it's a tourist attraction in the summer but uh, Jeremy a lot of our lighthouses actually aren't aren't publicly accessible um, like right. ours might be over there because ours are largely automated and still operated by Trinity House right um, well they have they might yeah. be open for one or two days a year um, yeah. limited access but we don't get the overnight access or the facilities right. to, to investigate um, any of the stories that we might hear yeah well it's mostly true here too it's actually a, a minority of lighthouses that are easily accessible or uh, open to the public to any degree at all. You know, most of them are offshore or uh, they're all automated. Uh, so there's, you know, no people living at most of the offshore lighthouses. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a small number that are easy to drive to on the mainland that are, you know, easily accessible to the public. But Ron and I have done a few few lighthouse investigations together. Exactly. And, and Jeremy and I are both on the boards of directors of the Friends of Portsmouth Lighthouse, which includes uh, Whaleback and uh, Portsmouth Lighthouse. In fact, at the end of the month, we're doing uh, some ghost tours there, aren't we, Jeremy? Yes, we are. Indeed, we are. Um, and uh, in fact, we have four dates scheduled this summer for that, and it's, a, it's always a fun event, and uh, we always sell them out. And all the funds go to the to the, the foundation. Yeah. Uh, people can check that out at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org if they want to see about the uh, the haunted tours we give. It's not just the light, Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, but also the adjacent fort, uh, Fort Constitution, which has plenty of stories of its own. Right. Um, and, uh, the first, the first uh, shots, the first shot was actually fired for our uh, War of Independence when we kicked off the uh, the British, you know, and uh, yeah, up on our own. First skirmish of the Revolution, right there, for Constitution. That's right. We we were just snotty nosed brats back then, but now look at us. Yeah. <laughs> you see, you see what throwing a, f- a few barrels of tea into a harbor does for diplomacy and relations. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, for, for, for all of that, um, yeah. I can't actually think of two nations that have ever been closer um, mm. for such a period of time. True. We really have. I mean, uh, you know, I, mean, I, I consider us brothers, and or, well, depending on you, probably consider yourself father and son, but that's okay. We'll, <laughs> we'll take that, too. <laughs> I remember being over there during, I think it was 2000, when uh, uh, during the contested uh, election of 
with uh, for Bush. Oh yeah. And um, I think somebody pointed out that as long as you continue to elect a president under the under the uh, Charter of Independence, um, fail it in the. Um, I think it was a spoof, but if you didn't get a president, the, uh, the, the colonies of America would revert to the Queen. Uh, and somebody's written underneath <laughs> this, this, except for Utah, because the Queen doesn't really like Utah very much. <laughs> you said the Queen doesn't like Utah very much? Okay, yeah. Well, that's what it said on this, on this poster. Huh. Why you like Utah, Jeremy? Is that what you're trying? Did you get it? <laughs> no, I was just wondering what the, uh, what the reason behind that is, but... There were no lighthouses. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yeah, we have to get you over here, Stephen. Come to New England. We'll take you to some of these lighthouses. Uh, maybe we'll leave you on one. Uh, but uh, you, you'll definitely uh, feel uh, the history here. I mean, oh, uh, you know, uh, when we first started the show, it was so funny because you started going into a little bit of history when I, I said that the British were really French. Uh, but um, I, I thought about your school system. I mean, it must take a lot longer to teach uh, English history than than us. We've only got a couple hundred years to to give a go through. You have, you know, forever. <laughs> well, the, do you know what? They're they're very selective with the history these days. The um, my daughter, who's fourteen, she she has a very truncated view of the world because they only really start teaching it from eighteen. They do the Tudors. And they do they, a little bit of the Romans, and then they do the 20th century, and they don't know very much about the rest of it. Oh, that's uh, a shame. Sort of written out. Uh, we're all European over here, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so they keep trying to tell us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's so funny, because if you were ask anything about uh, English history or UK history to my wife or my son, and they, uh, they could rattle off whatever... Uh, they're simply amazing how much knowledge they have on it. Uh, probably, I guess, a lot, what you're telling me, a lot more than some of the people in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I would, well, I would say so. But then when I was in the States, um, I was actually quite surprised that, um, for, you know, for a, the Internet generation and for CNN and you know, 500 channels of television, um, that people said, you know, realize that we were British and then asked which part of Canada we were from. Um, do, do we celebrate Christmas? Um, and it was quite difficult to explain that the reason that the language we were using is called English is because of a very small country just off Europe that's slightly smaller than the state of Florida, um, but with a capacity to... It's the world's biggest or the world's smallest third world country. <laughs> I've never heard of it that way. But <laughs> our capacity uh, to cause trouble is way beyond our size. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, amazing. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, the, the interesting thing about lighthouses is that uh, Richie would always bring up this stone tape theory, and, and most of the lighthouses, uh, or at least the ones that are still around, are <laughs> made out of stone. Uh, or are you going to correct me on that one, uh, Jeremy? Uh, some are. <laughs> there, a lot are. The later ones are mostly made of uh, iron or steel, actually. But a lot of the earlier ones are stone or brick. Most of ours over here are stone uh, because yeah. we never got round to renewing them. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, Richard's probably thinking of the UK lighthouses when he says, says that. Um, uh, 
one thing I did want to mention is is uh, I had always talked about how. Uh, uh, what's his name? The uh, Lord Nelson uh, haunts the lighthouse yeah. in Nova Scotia, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was really interesting because um, a we we did an event last weekend or two weekends ago up in Oneida, New York, at the Collingwood Estate, and the gentleman there who was from Canada, um, he had a chair with him, and this chair has been passed down from family member to family member, and it was actually one of the crew members of Lord Nelson's ship. It was one of the cabin boys' chair. It was just a little folded thing that could pop out, and I thought that was like the coolest thing that I ever saw. Can you imagine the number of years in the history in that, that piece of wood? I'm just thinking here, what, what a spooky coincidence. 3,000 miles away, you talk about Admiral Lord Nelson. Uh, yeah. Whilst right, in fact, I'll bang it on the desk to prove it. Right in my hand is a, uh, found yesterday in a, in a garage sale, is a piece of oak from HMS Victory. mounted with a co- Mounted with a copper medallion cast from the copper cladding, uh, made in 1905 when they did the first restorations on Victory. And these medals and little uh, oak plaques were made to raise money f- to actually uh, restore the ship. Mm-hmm. So, oh, what's the uh, coincidence that's a bit of freaky, that? isn't it? That's, yeah, it is really freaky. Richard would say that's paranormal. Yeah, yeah something, that's for sure. That's paranormal. Uh, that is very a uh, very cool thing to have, uh, Stephen. I'm, I'm quite impressed. Although I do have a garage sales. I do have a copper. I do have a copper penny penny made from the Statue of Liberty when they re- redid the Statue of Liberty for uh, uh, charity. When they redid it and they sold some of the copper off. Did Did you get any of the uh, the stuff when they covered it in marshmallow? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You were in Wrong that movie, movie, weren't you, Ron? Wrong movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's cool that we can collect these little slivers of history. I mean, this this uh, one-inch block of oak with the half-inch copper coin, somebody, I don't know, it was two pounds at a car boot sale, so uh, it's now joining my collection. I'm very pleased to have had it. But we, we, are, we are collectors, aren't we? And I think it goes hand in hand with the the interest in the paranormal is an interest in history. Um, And I think you you have to have a well-developed sense of history in order to to understand a little bit about the paranormal. And because we are, in fact, researching the the dead. The past. The past, the dead, the people who have gone before. And I think you have to have a degree of affinity um, with with their lives, with their culture, with their experiences, and these little touchstones that we can we can have, I think help us. And, and we're actually preserving, pre- yeah, preserving, <laughs> preserving <laughs> up. That's a new Ronism. Uh, we're actually <laughs> preserving our past and and things that we, we you know like that we we save and also like Jeremy's work on lighthouses. He's where he's you know preserving much bigger pieces of the past than the, a little piece of wood, but it, it's uh, on the same line. I think it's absolutely. I, I think if we lose touch with our past, I think we lose touch with ourselves. And, reserve, 
and you know delving into the paranormal aspect of it it all works hand in hand i mean in both ways you're you're sort of communing with the spirits of the past it's really the the people you know the lighthouse keepers and people who lived at these places that brought them to life you know and uh that's the number one reason why I think we need to preserve them as memorials to those people. So. And Jeremy has actually had his own experiences at Portsmouth White House, uh, wouldn't you say, Jeremy? Yeah, I have. Um, and some of them have been with you, some some not. We've uh, we've had a lot of investigations there. You were the first one. The New England Ghost Project was the first to do an investigation there in '05, I believe. It's hard to believe it's almost seven years ago. But um, since then, we've had a number of other groups. I've taken part in a lot of these investigations, and I've, but I've also had experiences by myself there. And uh, I've heard of, I'm one of a number of people that's heard a voice that was extremely hard to explain in any, quote, normal way. Um, he only said hello when I heard him. It wasn't that interesting. But, uh, you know, um, other people have heard similar things. Um, I've been there when footsteps, there were footsteps on the stairs and, and knocking and that sort of thing. And... Um, but my strongest experience was actually in the fort next door to the White House, the uh, Fort Constitution, during one of the investigations when uh, a couple of people were who uh, claimed to be sensitive to these kinds of things felt strongly there was a spirit there in one of the, the tunnels or sally ports on the side of the, the fort. And um, as they were saying that, I felt something, I felt like it passed through me and it nearly knocked me over. I felt kind of sick for a while, as a matter of fact. And uh, I would say that was my, my personal strongest experience. Um, so I don't know what it was, but I know it was real and uh, it wasn't my imagination. So, you know, I always call myself an open-minded skeptic. I don't necessarily understand or, or you know reach conclusions about these things that happen but I, I i certainly have an open mind about it you know there's we don't understand everything in this universe i think you would agree with that no absolutely uh, another thing that uh, jeremy and i do and we, we're doing um we have this little business i guess you would say called uh extract paranormal journeys mm-hmm. little funny business you could call it yeah, I think it's um, funny. Yeah. Uh, IRS now? <laughs> don't, don't tell them. <laughs> and, and, and for instance, we, we but we, we do a lot of, with, with uh, you know, I mean, uh, David Wells has come over and done some cruises with us, as long with his Richard Felix, Karen O'Keefe. Uh, and this year we have uh, Mark Nesmith coming up from Gettysburg. And Mark Nesmith, for those who don't know him, maybe you don't, Steve, is probably the leading expert of, of uh Gettysburg on on ghosts and uh, the paranormal, so we're excited that he's coming up at the end of the month on the twenty third or twenty fourth and twenty fifth Sunday, twenty third, fourth, fourth, doing cruise with him. Yeah, you're doing other events with him as well, yeah. but we're doing a cruise with him from Portsmouth, New Hampshire, on Sunday evening, June twenty fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, brand new website up for Extrex Paranormal Journeys, by the way, extrextours.com. That's X-T-R-E-X tours.com and people can read more about the uh, the events and buy tickets right through the website. There you go. And uh, it's going to be a good time as it always is. And, you know, maybe we can get Stephen over one of, these, one of these days and we can take him out on a boat somewhere. That sounds... <laughs> and then... Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, that sounds really cool. Um, mm-hmm. But, Ron, why don't yeah. you come over to our side of the pond? Mm. Oh, I don't trust the Brits. 
well, I don't trust the Brits either, but we're stuck with them. Um, but why don't you set up an X Trek overseas and come to the motherland, fatherland? You, you know Germany, what? Isn't it? That sounded terrible. <laughs> do I detect a bit of a Liverpudlian accent there? You, you do. You do detect a little bit of a Liverpudlian accent. And no, okay. I've never met John Lennon. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was that was the pizza. So that means uh, we've got to wrap up the show. Uh, Jeremy, anything you want to add before we? Poor Steve never gets the pizza. He only just hears the bell. <laughs> uh, is it from the Borley uh, restaurant, Ron? Yes, it is from the Borley restaurant. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, we're, that's where they preserve it. <laughs> um, you asked if there's anything I wanted to add. Just to mention one more time, xtrex.com. We got a, a few really neat events coming up this this summer, uh, mostly cruise cruise related, but with various uh, interesting guests. And also Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse.org. June 30th is the first night for the haunted tours at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Fort Constitution, and uh, they always sell out. So if people are interested, they should sign up very soon. Right, and that's right, uh, Brian Shepard uh, will be doing one of these cruises as well. Yes, he will, on August 2nd, uh, another uh, sunset cruise from Portsmouth. That sounds uh, so nice. I remember seeing Kieran's pictures that, uh, from his trip over there and being very, very jealous. Oh, Steve, yeah, I have to tell you, this was funny. One of the first ones we did was with uh, David Wells, and, and I don't know if you know it, but David Wells was in the, was in the, the Royal Navy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, we came over and uh, we showed him the uh, the boat, and he says, uh, "Where's the boat?" Uh, we said, "Here it is." He says, "Oh, I thought that was the boat to take you out to the boat." <laughs> <laughs> I come from it's very close to my family. Uh, my grandfather was a deckhand on a submarine. Really. That's what he always used to tell us when we were little. <laughs> Speaking of submarines, and the most submarines in, uh, made in the U.S. during World War II were built right here in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. By the way. Oh, there you go. Anyways, we do have to we do have to end this madness. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thanks, Jeremy. Guys. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, extractstours.com, I guess, is the site. There you go. All right, Steve, anything you want to add before uh, we go away and I eat the pizza? Yeah, hold the anchovies on mine. <laughs> I will. <laughs> Never been a great fan of anchovies. No, me neither. Not at all. So thank you. I'll thank you so I'll much. You soon, Ron. Yeah, you take care and, uh, and uh, God save the queen. All right, thanks for having me again. Okay, good night and God bless everyone. From ghoulies to ghosties. Have you been laid off, fired, downsized, right-sized, or re-engineered out of a job? Are you unemployed or anticipate that possibility? Then tune in for Successfully 